What's up? Ray Woodson back with you and uh, had a little detour on the way down to Arizona. We will be in Scottsdale next week, but on that detour, I ran into Bill Lasky, former Giants pitcher who does many pregame and postgame shows on NBC Sports Bay Area. You can hear him on the radio as well, and he's got something else cooking this year that we're going to talk about in an interview coming up. I mainly wanted to chat with him about playing for the late, great Frank Robinson, the Hall of Famer who died last week at the age of 83, and Bill's got stories. Yes, he does. And we'll have that coming up. Also, why he's probably always going to have it in for Tommy Lasorda. And this goes beyond the Dodgers-Giants rivalry. Real excited before we hear from Bill to tell you about a couple of sponsors we have this week in the Blue Wire Podcast Network and Triple's Alley Report, Harry's Razors and Ethos Life Insurance. And coming up now, you're going to hear about an offer from Harry's Razors that is incredible. All right, guys, I don't know how it is with your loved one, but my wife likes a clean-shaven face. She doesn't like the mustache or the stubble or the big beards you know, that you can hide a salmon in like Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places. She likes a clean-shaven face. Others will tolerate the beard, but they like it groomed, well-trimmed. Well, that's why I'm excited that we're teaming up with Harry's Razors to make sure that uh, I and you can shave more comfortably. In fact, go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, mm, a travel blade cover, and you get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. In fact, Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. It's totally worth it. You know, life can be stressful, but getting life insurance should not be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars. No hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. Only takes 10 minutes to apply. And you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. Getethos.com. All right, on Triple's Alley Report, we are now chatting with uh, former Giants pitcher and uh, now on NBC Sports Barry, a pregame, postgame, and got some other things coming up this year as well, Bill Lasky. Bill, thanks for uh, chatting with us today. Well, I'm glad you're here, Ray. It's going to be a good little chat. I'm glad you're here, and of course, I miss you, and I'm sure a lot of people miss you on the air. Well, I miss them, too, yeah. but, you know, life goes on, and so now we're doing this, which is kind of fun because I get to do these one-on-one interviews with a lot of good people, and no time limit. Talk about whatever, uh, baseball-wise. 
before we get into the meat of this, I know you got some plans to do some uh, Rivercats games this year, right? Yeah, last year, well, it happened a couple of years ago. Um, the Giants did an exhibition game, and I asked, I was asked to go out there and do it, and it went really well. And then they didn't do it for a year, and then last year they did it again, and the audience from a ballpark packed at Rayleigh's Field to the audience watching it on television, they thought it would be a great idea to put 12 games on. Mm-hmm. So uh, CBS Channel 13 took it over, and Johnny Dasko, who is the radio voice of the River Cats, and I proceeded to do 12 games. Now, what was funny about this is um, some of those games had Madison Bumgartner pitching, Johnny Cueto pitching, yeah. Jess Samarja pitching. Yeah. You had Hunter Pence playing. You had Joe Panic playing, which was pretty cool because you got a big league pitcher or a big league player playing AAA games, and you had a great audience for it. So this year we're going to do it again expanding it a little bit more, a few more games. Uh, but in reality, uh, doing AAA baseball in Sacramento, and, and it's a fun environment. You and I talk about Rayleigh Field a lot, and it's a beautiful ballpark. And the fans come out and watch it. Well, my kids live up in that area. I've been to several games there. It really is a nice spot. And I don't know if there's ever going to be a major league market, but that's a park you could expand, and it could become a major league quality park. I think the infrastructure is already there. Mm-hmm. And like you said, a lot of these players come through. Now, if Bruce Bochy had his druthers, none of those dudes be playing in Sacramento this year. Yeah, and that's true, too. I mean, a lot of it was mainly injuries and rehab starts. And, and of course, Hunter Pence went down there for a few uh, months. and But, you know, he came back to fashion, of course, now – he signed with the Rangers, and we'll see what he does. But, again, I got to meet Mac Williamson. I got to meet Ray Black, some of the guys that are fighting to get to the big leagues and having conversations with them, uh, just sitting in the dugout talking baseball. And those were meaning relationships I have now. And um, those mean more than just doing a TV game to meet some minor leaguers that are fighting to get to the big leagues. Mac's kind of been the forgotten guy through no fault of his own because he's had these unfortunate injuries over the last few years he'll show some of his ability and I think in the last couple of years he's had two of the best at bats I've seen one of them was a Yankee Stadium one was in Pittsburgh and he had a ball I think it was a Dodger Stadium opposite field that was just Mm -hmm. a a laser you know the the abilities there is just getting on the field and you know with all the questions about the Giants outfield that may get answered this week or may not Seems like he's a guy that still, you got to give him a look. Well, you, he always comes to shape. He's in great shape. He plays the outfield very well. And of course, the unfortunate thing last year when he ran to the ball in left field and hit the pitcher's mound and hit his head in the wall, and he never could overcome that. And that's one of his downfalls last year. He couldn't shake that web out of his brain of the concussion. And this year, we, you and I both saw him in January. Uh, at fantasy camp, he was clear-minded, he's focused, and he really wants to do what he's planned on doing, starting in left field for the Giants. And I think you and I are both in his corner wanting to do it. Well, there's a right-handed power bat, potentially. Yeah. And, you know, he's getting up there. He's past the age where you consider him a prospect. But, again, there's an asterisk because of all the things that have happened to him in the last two or three years. And, like I said, he, he at least merits a look. And, yeah, I'm, I'm wishing him the best of luck, especially health-wise, this year so he can show what he could do. And he would definitely be an asset. He's able to get out there for 100, 130 games. Well, and the other thing, too, Ray, is he's out of options. So yeah. he's going to really have to – 
push himself to make the roster, of course. And right now, it looks like he's probably going to be a fourth or fifth outfielder. Uh, his potential's there. His swing is there now. I saw good and bad swings both in Sacramento and in San Francisco, but I think he's learning to swing. And, you know, we talk about Justin Turner learning to swing, and it took him a couple years to learn it. I think that's the same thing with Williamson. And you, you said it earlier, he, when he hits the ball, those balls are flying off his bat. There's good contact there. Yeah. Exit velocity, as we yeah, like to say. Now, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, nothing you want to see when you're a pitcher, that's for sure. I'll say one thing about Farhan Zaidi. He's, he's collecting arms. I mean, they're getting arms. Uh, you know, the, the guys who maybe didn't have great numbers last year, but in the recent past, they did succeed mm-hmm. at a certain level, whether it's uh, high minors or in the major leagues. And, and you know, as a, a former pitcher, it's circumstances. It's having the right pieces fall into place in the right surroundings. Yeah in order to succeed. And, you know, this may be throwing some stuff up against the wall and see what sticks, but there could be a couple of those guys who can succeed in San Francisco. You know, I look at also when he was with the Oakland A's and then he was with the Dodgers, I think he he learned what has to be built in the minor leagues. And you're seeing the guys he's picking up, some Rule 5 players, as well as some arms that got a little big league time but really wasn't. They weren't successful yet. And I think those are the arms he's looking at to maybe build that AAA team and have stockpile of arms. You and I both talk about a lot how the minor leagues are not that strong, and I think that's one of the things he's out to do is strengthen the minor leagues so he has an abundance of arms. That you can call on in case somebody gets hurt, which they weren't always able to do the last couple of years. If there was a vote in the clubhouse, what would it be to uh, sign Bryce Harper? Well, just listening to Madison Bumgarner and Buster Posey, I think those are your two biggest votes. And, you know, they both uh, have said it'd be a positive, and any team it would be. He's he's that much of a power hitter and a strong personality of a Bryce Harper would definitely help. And, you know, Madison Bumgarner just recently said, I think we have the mix here to get to the World Series. A Bryce Harper would definitely put his over the top yeah well we'll we'll see about that I guess they're one of the finalists the Giants have been right there before and then it doesn't happen (laughs) the hitter goes no rows no rows and they go away crying but uh you know we'll see we'll see on this one one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is it's been a rough off season for Mm -hmm. the Giants family I mean Willie McCovey Hank Greenwald Dirty Al Gallagher yeah uh, the people forget about him Peter McGowan and now Frank Robinson, who had certainly a connection with the Giants family as a manager in the 80s, and you played for him. I'll just give you the broad-based question, first of all. What was it like playing for Frank Robinson? Well, you know, the first thing I have to say is he gave me an opportunity to pitch in the big leagues. I was with the Royals for many years and got traded over here with Rich Gale for Jerry Martin and went to spring training. And I knew Frank, growing up in Ohio, I knew Frank from Baltimore, Cleveland, as a manager, and I knew how tough of a guy he was. I knew how aggressive he was, but... You and I talked about this before. He gave me an opportunity to pitch in the big leagues, and he taught me how to pitch in the big leagues. One of the biggest things he said, don't have fear of pitching inside, and you have to be it consistently. So you're not just showing a hitter one or two, you're burying them inside. And it really taught me a different way to pitch. It taught me to take the fear out of an inside corner and really take both sides of the plate. When you talk to good hitters, hitters always say, I take the outside part of the plate. They always look for that ball outside. And as I grew up, there was always one pitch or two pitches. You always threw the same thing. What Frank did, he gave me a different idea of how to pitch. And as a good hitter, a great hitter, Hall of Fame hitter, he taught me to use the inside part of the plate. And it also taught me to teach other pitchers that. 
kids that I teach pitching, you have to command both sides of the plate. And that's one thing he did for me as a Hall of Fame hitter. He taught me how to pitch. And, you know, he was a guy who I'm sure a lot of, a lot of pitchers would try to go inside on, but he'd be right on the plate. And I remember that. Yeah. Uh, and he had, there was no back down in him. So he was trying to instill that in the pitcher, too. And, you know, it wasn't just me. It was Atley Hammerker. It was all the young pitchers that were getting an opportunity to pitch in the big leagues. Atley and I were the two top rookies, you know, and we both learned how to pitch. But when you're hearing it from a Hall of Fame hitter, as you and I talk about, a guy that stood on top of the plate and he'd called every pitcher a name if they'd throw win throw inside and pretty much wimp and every other name he could throw, and he would barrel the bat every time the ball would be outside, and he would say to us, I don't want you to be that guy. I want you to have fear. I want the hitters to have fear of you, not you having a fear of hitter. Mm-hmm. And those things stick in your brain. And, um, you know, he, he was aggressive. He was very, very competitive. And he wanted you to pitch like he played. And you know what? It, it instilled in me a competitor that I had, but it brought me into being more aggressive. You know, it's funny the relationship he had with the media because the stories I heard were he would test a reporter, right? And if you uh, came back at him, you know, he respected you, right? Yeah. Was he that way with the players, too? I think the older players, the Darrell Evans, Jack Clarks, he always questioned their way of hitting, how, how the approach was. And he'd always, Jack Clark would always be in an argument with him. Darrell Evans would always be in an argument with him. The guys that were your main guys in the middle of the order, he was always testing them. What are you looking for? What's this guy offering? How come you're not doing this? How come? But it wasn't really, you know, calling him, you know, an ignorant hitter. I think he was trying to make him expand their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you, you have to chip your hat to a guy that was that good of a hitter, and he's trying to make you a better hitter. But, you know, you, you always go head-to-head head with some of those guys, mm-hmm. and, and you say, why is he asking me this? Well, I know how to hit. And I'm sure once they've gotten past the game after we t- retired, they're probably understanding why he did that. Yeah, and, you know, it's hard to question a guy's a freaking Hall of Famer if you're a player, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and that was the other thing, too. He surrounded himself with with good coaches. Don Buford, you know, Herm Sturrett was my pitching coach, but everything Herm did, he had to tell, you know, Frank what he was doing. Um, You you had quality. Jimmy Davenport was there, and you had some other guys that, you know, ended up helping and assisting him. But Frank was the guy. He was the guy that gave the final word to everything, and you respected that. I mean, when he'd walk down the dugout and he'd ask you, how are you going to pitch to this next guy? If you didn't have an answer, he would be in your face. Well, among other things, he was a pioneer, as we know in the game's first uh, black manager in Major League Baseball. And he goes back right here in the Bay Area. Mm Mm-hmm. And in his high school, he's hooping with Bill Russell yeah. and Beta Pinson and his teammate. <laughs> I mean, talk about talent in one school for crying out loud. Yeah, well, you know, he was a good basketball player, and yeah. he'd always say that, too. And, you know, he, he always had different people coming in his locker locker room, seeing him and talking to him. And, of course, on the road, he, he always had some quality players and people that he knew. And, you know, he was well-liked. And at other times, he wasn't well-liked. There was people that just didn't like him, too. And mm-hmm. uh, But, again, I, I tip my hat to the man. He gave me an opportunity to pitch in the big leagues. And I, I can't say enough thank yous for him. It's a funny comment he had about Kruko and Kuiper during those days. He said it's like managing the funny farm. Yeah, that, <laughs> so, so, so what was it? What was that dynamic like with those guys? The, well, those are two clowns. They were they were mess, they messed around all the time. They haven't changed. And I always say that people go, well, how, "How's Kruko and Kuiper?" I said they haven't changed a bit. They've gotten funnier as the years gone on. Yes. Uh, their memory of stories just intrigues me because they do remember some of the things that happened. Mm-hmm. 
And I try to think about it, and I can't remember it, and they're older than I am, Frank. <laughs> well, yeah, well, they got a lot of time on the air to fill, yeah. first of all. So, you know, when you're, you're doing a game, uh, those stories kind of come back, don't they? They do. But, yeah, they have some tremendous stories. And they were they were in a commercial with them, right? Yeah. Remember that? They, we all were. We, we yeah. all did that. It was with the, uh, the Crazy Crab, and right. then we did a kazoo thing, and... Um, those were all funny things. I mean, that was Pat Gallagher bringing up the, the crazy crab, a, a mascot you wanted to hate. And, uh, boy, we did some funny things with that guy. And uh, it, it was just that time of, uh, of our careers where we're trying to make a name with the Giants. And it just we, we tried and tried. It just didn't click. And, of course, my rookie year in 82, we got down to the final three games against the Dodgers. And we were battling against the Braves. And um, there were just good memories, some good baseball in 83 and 84, too. But uh, we just couldn't uh, climb the ladder to get into the playoffs. Yeah, you did have that moment where Joe Morgan was the spoiler. And uh, I, that to this day, 37 years later, yeah. Giants fans remember that moment. And so here you are playing for a Hall of Fame manager, and you got a teammate who's a Hall of Famer, too, and Joe Morgan. Yeah, and Joe did a lot of things. I, I loved when Joe would come to the mound without the catcher coming up, and he, he would literally put his – and back then he'd put his glove over his mouth. Mm-hmm. And back then we didn't even know what was going on until Will Clark saw it with, with the Cubs. And uh, and Joe would literally say, this is where I think you can get this guy out at. And, you know, he was a, he was a scout for you. He, the knowledge that he had – I always wondered why he wasn't a manager. I think he would have been a great manager, but uh, he didn't want to take that role. And um, he was uh, an encyclopedia because he knew hitters and he knew exactly what they were thinking at different times during the game. And I loved it when he came up to me and just say, go inside, go inside. He's looking away. And sure enough, he'd go inside and he'd hit a little weak ground ball. And those are things I remember about Joe Morgan. Uh, Speaking of stories, and you probably told this story a bunch of times, but in your rookie year and you won 13 games and you had a chance to go to the All-Star game and Tommy Lasorda got in your way, kind of. <laughs> yeah, so I, I should blame I, Frank on that. <laughs> so yeah, Tommy's was, still around. You can still get in his grill. Yeah, well, you know, it, it happened in 1982. I, I was 7-2 with an uh, under a three-pointer and run average. We were going to Montreal and they had named the pitching staff and I was on it. Had my ring size and everything and Greg Mitten and I were chosen to go and we got into Montreal. There was It was a four-game or three-game series and I had pitched the, the night before so I was running the outfield and everything and Frank somebody told me if Frank wanted to talk to me in my in his office so I went in there and he just said hey you know I got a phone call coming into Tommy Lasorda and he's managing um, the National League All-Star game and he'd like to ask you a question and I said yeah God, fine so he gets him on the phone we're on speakerphone and, and Tommy goes uh, hey Bill um, you know I know it's your rookie year and Steve Sachs is a rookie also made the All-Star team but I gotta ask you a question and I said what's that Tommy he goes well Phil Necro is gonna retire this year and he hasn't been pitching that great but I would like to exchange your spot with his spot but you need to say yes to this I can't do it because as you're the youngest pitcher I I thought this could happen well I looked at Frank I'm 22 23 years old and I'm like what should I do you know and Frank wouldn't give me an answer he would not he says you have to make that decision and I'm talking 10 seconds you know make a decision and of course good old Bill said yeah, go ahead. You go ahead, and Phil can take my spot. Well, Phil ended up playing another eight years and made three more All-Star teams, and I never sniffed an All-Star team after that, Ray. Oh, um, but it was something I learned, and, you know, my dad was my dad was more mad at me than anything because he was made a trip. He, it was in Montreal. We were staying right to Montreal, and, of course, he lost his ticket. He was so mad at me. He's still mad at me probably in heaven. But, but um, it was something I learned, and, you know what, sometimes you just do it and you think about it, and at 
at that time, I thought it was the right decision. Well, I think it was, you, you were being a nice guy. Where at me, I might have said, hey, he's already been to an all-star yeah, game. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is my he's, first. He's got a statue now in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> have, but, you run, um, have you run into Phil over the years? That's no, the... I never have. And, you know, I did run into Tommy like five years ago, and I had said to him, he goes, ah, I don't remember that. And I go, sure you do. I know you do. But um, Selective amnesia. I, I tell you who remembers it more than anything, but it's Steve Sachs. Steve yeah. Sachs remembers yeah. it, and I, I'm real good friends yeah. with Steve. And he goes, I wondered why you weren't there. I didn't know it. I didn't know it. He didn't know anything was going on. But uh, he and I were the only National League rookies on that team, and he ended up being the only National League rookie. But um, to this day, I wish I would have done it. I wish I would have been part of it. In my mind, I was. My stats show it. and mm-hmm. But I don't know where my ring is. Somebody said they saw it in some sports collector thing, and I'm like, find it. I'll buy it. Yeah, really? Really? <laughs> I mean, but it's it was it's a story, and it's a true story. And the thing about it is, you know, it was my past. I was a young player, yeah. and and at that time, I thought that was the right decision. No, you're being a decent guy, you know. But and you were an all star, yeah. you know. Even if you didn't go there, you were right. chosen. I, right? Yeah, it, it's just it's just you are, but you aren't, you know. And Greg Mint was the other one that was pretty upset about it. And he's like, "What do you mean you're not coming? What do you mean you're not going? What what do you what is going on?" And you know, and then you talk to older players back then, and they're like, "What? Why'd you do that?" Well, you know, and but but again, when you're in a room and you're a rookie, I didn't pitch maybe 15 starts, mm-hmm. and I make the All Star team, and I'm sitting there with Frank Robinson in front of me and Tommy Lasorda on the phone, and nobody's guiding me what to do. Yeah. What do you do? Well, you know, Tommy was being a little manipulative there. I there think. was no doubt about it. Yeah. There was no doubt about it. But at the same time, you know, in a long story, I Frank and I talked about this years past, and Frank said I should have stepped up. And I go, you know, Frank, I didn't know what to do, and I thought I did the right thing. And to this day, I never made an all-star team, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, you, you, but you had a major league yeah. career, and, and you know you won a lot of games. In, you know, you were there what six, seven years, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, just under six years total. But um, you know, for a, a tall, linky pitcher back in the day in Toledo, I'm blessed to be in the big leagues. I'm blessed to to be there, and I was successful for a few years. And and the Giants treat me like a Hall of Fame. They do. I do a lot for them, and they do a lot back for me. And I can't be any more prouder to represent an organization like the Giants. How has the game changed for pitchers? Well, I guess for hitters, too. We were talking about this a little bit earlier with the Mm -hmm. analytics now. It seems like the pendulum has swung almost too far the other way. I mean, more information is great, but you're still dealing with human beings here. Yeah, and it seems like it's going to get worse, though, Ray. It seems like they're really going to look at numbers more than the human being, what's on the mound. You know, I I heard Bruce Bochy in an interview over the winter saying, you know, I still like to ask that pitcher when it's 3-2 and the bases are loaded, what is he thinking instead of looking at the numbers and, well, he walks more and more guys and gets up hits. Same thing with a hitter. What can a hitter do when he goes up to the plate? Numbers aren't going to tell you what that real player can do. And analytics can tell you everything and teach you everything. And and you understand numbers and, and, you know, the shifts and all that type of thing. But it really is who's getting in those spikes and who's going to play for you that day. Yeah. And what's working for you that day, right? Yeah. I mean, there yeah. may be a pitch that you're supposed to throw this guy, but you don't have any kind of command over that pitch that day. As well as, you know, what happened the night before. You might have gotten an argument with your wife and you didn't sleep or you didn't, you know, you might have ate something wrong and you're not feeling good. I mean, there's so many different things in the game of baseball than just numbers. Uh, but it sure in the hell looks like the numbers are taking over this game. Yeah, yeah, they are. And you've got a, a director of baseball operations who's at the forefront of that, Farhan Zaidi. Looks like what he's trying to do now is just improve the roster one spot at a time, even if it's only 5 or 10%. And given what you had in the minor league system, I think he's 
doing a decent job of that, especially with the pitching depth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen in 2019. A lot of this has to do with the free agent signings yeah. that, that may still happen. But, you know, it sounds like they're in with Bumgarner. They're going to see where this goes. And mm -hmm. depending on where they are in July, trade one way or the other. You know, I, I went back at the end of the year when everybody was talking about trading Bumgarner. And, you know, everybody knows this is his last year. He becomes a free agent. And I, I said it way back in October and November. I would rather have him start off the season and see how he's going to do the first three, four months until you get to the All-Star break before you give up on him. And that was one thing I was glad that Farham didn't do. I'm sure he wanted three, four, five quality players for him. But I, I said this earlier. You look at the free agent market, there's nobody to compete, and nobody can pitch like Madison Bumgarner. I don't care what these guys have put numbers on. He's a horse when it comes to the playoffs. He's one of a kind when you get to the World Series. And you just can't give up a guy like that. Yeah, it's it's a loss unless you are getting a big haul back. Yeah. Uh, it's a loss in that regard. And I didn't see it last spring. I'm going to see everybody this spring but i heard that he was looking great yeah last spring before this freak injury on the last day in camp down there in arizona yeah and you know when you when you talk to him when he was up here i mean he was a bull he wanted to come in focused and i think he's that way this year too you know he's focused to win he wants to win he wants to get back to the playoffs uh, you know his first couple of interviews he says i think we got the horses to do it when you look at this team you do have the horses but you can't have a longoria hit 220 or a crawford hit 260 or a panic hitting 210 these are your horses and a brandon belt has to hit 20 or 25 home runs there's ability and there's careers that are very good, but they have to play up to their standards. And last year with the injuries and the last before that, they can't slump. They have to play as a team, and that's the only way they're going to compete in the NL West. Well, I think the things you're talking about, these guys have done it before except for Belt hitting 20 home runs. We yeah. keep saying that every year, but yeah. whatever the case may be. But that you know, these are things they have done, but they all have to click in in order to for this team to be competitive. It's a lot of ifs. There are, and the same thing with Buster Posey's hip and, and your starting rotation, and you look at Samarja, sure, you're not going to get Cueto. You might get a strong Samarja. And you got the youngsters and Suarez and Rodriguez. Are they going to bounce back on their second year? And I think their bullpen's probably the best in the NL West. Well, they've got some depth this year, for sure. Them. You know, they got guys that also have been talked about as trade pieces, like Tony Watson and Will Smith, but... You know, again, that may be something we talk about in July. Sure. Yeah. So in the meantime, yeah, you, you got to wait to see how it plays out. I've seen teams before like this who have done things in the past, had a couple bad years. They come back and they, you know, they they get in the mix because mm -hmm. they've done it before. But again, it's going to take a lot, a lot of, a lot of things to click well, into and place. Also, Ray, it's, it's going to see how Bruce Bochy handles all of it. Yeah. He's going to, he's going to handle some different things with all the analytics that Farham's going to throw to him. Openers. Yeah, openers, and as well as you know, defining what places that bullpen gives you. Is Will Smith going to be your closer? You're going to go back to Melanson. Is you know, there's other Ray Black. Is he going to be in the mix? There's some arms down there that are going to be questioned. Marks. Yeah, yeah, and you know that's why he went out and got more arms. <laughs> so, so they may be answers, so they may be more question marks. Yeah. We'll find out. But that's what uh, makes the start of the season fun. You don't know what's going to happen exactly yeah. just yet. Well, uh, we'll be uh, watching you on TV, listening to you on the radio. Thanks for hanging out with right. us today, and we'll see you down the road. I miss you up in Northern California. I know you're going to put your roots in Arizona for a little bit, but all the best to you, Ray. And it's always good catching up with you. 
Well, we got folks up here. Like I said, I got safe houses up and down the coast. So. <laughs> safe houses. That's not a good sign. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you do what you have to do. Huh? That's right. But we'll That's be back. Right. We'll, we'll be back from time to time. You, and it's always good catching up with you, buddy. All right. Likewise. Bill Lasky on Triple's Alley Report. All right, thanks once again to Bill Lasky for joining us this week. We'll catch up with Bill as the season progresses. Next week, we will be in Arizona. have lots of interviews coming up for spring training on Triple's Alley Report. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, we took a detour this week as we continue to bounce back and forth between our new home in Arizona and our old home in the Bay Area. And uh, the reason for the detour this week was family business. This podcast is dedicated to the memory of Guadalupe Amalia Chavis, was married to my father for 37 years, among other things, my stepmom loved to watch the New York Yankees on TV. She was a big Yankees fan. My dad was a big Yankees fan. He grew up in Joplin, Missouri, which was a Yankees farm town. But uh, Loopy was a loyal listener to our podcast and uh, enjoyed the success that the Giants were enjoying as I was covering the team during this past decade because, after all, family is always more important. We'll talk to you next week on Triple's Alley Report.